Match week four is in the books. Ronaldo is back in business, and we have a very, very special pod in store for you to cover all the weekend's action. Justin is actually away enjoying life in Greece with his fiance, so standing in his place. I didn't look very far, and it's a family reunion on the pod this time around. In one corner, I have Evan, my brother. How are you doing? Yeah, let's go. Doing pretty good, man. Excited to be on here. Uh, of course, we got hit with the heavy week being Spurs fans, but hey, when is there a... Uh... You know, a dull time being a Spurs fan, but I'm I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. How are you doing, Kyle? I am doing well. I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm excited to have you on Same. as well as my next guest. You couldn't just be a Tottenham party here. We had to get <laughs> some more uh sensible, level-headed people on the pod. In the other corner, I have Jeff. Feels weird to say that. My dad. How are you doing, Dad? I'm great, Kyle, and thank you for having me. I'm completely honored to be one of your two guests on the podcast. And I must say, I feel a little bit like I failed in parenting by raising two Spurs fans when I am a Liverpool fan. And uh, I was actually, as you know, Kyle, a Liverpool fan when it wasn't fashionable to be a Liverpool fan. So it really feels good to have the squad that we have and to have the best coach in the world at the helm, even though we've got some dumb Yankee owners that don't spend any money on the squad in the transfer market anyway. So maybe that tips my hand on one of your uh, future topics, Kyle, but thank you for having me on. No, that is, that's good uh, arsenal to have in my, in my pocket. I I'm actually surprised because I feel a little bit differently, but I know Justin is right there with you feeling the same way. And I know a lot of people are doubting Liverpool summer uh, when you see, you know, Lukaku going to Chelsea, Ronaldo going to United, blah, 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 so on and so forth. But uh, this weekend, there were some matches, uh, but the week preceding that did have a little bit of an impact on the Premier League this last weekend. You might have seen scenes from the Argentina-Brazil game. Uh, well, it wasn't much of a game. It lasted about, what, five, six minutes, something like that. When, uh, you know, I guess I should back up a little bit. Uh, at the very beginning, Premier League clubs unanimously all 20 clubs agreed to prevent players who were going to travel to quote unquote red list countries. That's countries according to the UK that are in the red zone for COVID. Um, I'm not 100% sure if the U S is considered a red zone country, but probably should be. Um, But that includes much of South America, Central America um, could in a couple of weeks, even include some more European countries probably does include some right now. I'm not really sure, but um, there were some issues with, uh, that didn't go down well with the teams in Comnable in South America, um, ended up trying to pull a five day ban or some, some law that I didn't even know existed that prevented players from playing in the Premier League, uh, that ultimately did not happen. But the thing that is interesting about this Argentina Brazil game, uh, the Argentina players from Tottenham and Aston Villa refused the club's wishes not to leave they left anyway and they traveled to i don't think argentina was a red list country but i believe it's brazil and um because of this um because of being listed a red list country brazil then turned around in trumpian form and red listed the uk so because these players came from the uk um a fiasco ensued where five minutes into a match brazilian health officials decided to rush the field try to apprehend uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, Christian Romero, both from Tottenham, and Emmy Martinez from Aston Villa. 
I mean, my God, uh, I don't think this thing happens with international matches uh, in other sports because it's not as much of an international game. But have Dad, let's go over to you. Have you ever seen anything like this in any kind of sports that you can remember? Only in international soccer, Kyle. <laughs> and when you Nowhere think about else. it, whether it's FIFA, UEFA, uh, giving out uh, bids for hosting a major tournament, uh, CONMEBOL, CONCACAF, man, these organizations all seem to be on the take. And just a crazy sequence of events with the international break and then, you know, to stop the match in the eighth minute, uh, when all the best players in the world are on the field, it's Brazil and Argentina. It's the blood match of South America. And Brazil is trying to avoid losing to Argentina on its home soil for the second consecutive time after having lost in the Copa America finals just a couple months ago. Just crazy. It just makes it look completely and ridiculously uh, political, which it is. And then, oh, by the way, Kyle, you know who the health minister in Brazil is who actually ordered shutting down the game? Bolsonaro's son. So uh, you hit the nail on the head with your, with your Trumpian reference, Kyle. Um, just absolutely uh, ridiculous. And uh, in the long list of uh, completely embarrassing international soccer moments, uh, we, we have sunk to a new low. So fortunately, the game is so beautiful and uh, the players, uh, you know, the probably the best photo of the night was of Neymar and Messi standing next to each other with Neymar laughing as he's covering his mouth and Messi kind of shrugging like these guys weren't even surprised that it happened. Just ridiculous. Not at all. And, and I'm, it, it was almost like Neymar expected this out of uh, Bolsonaro's government. And it's just, yeah, Absolutely. couldn't have, couldn't have said it better myself that uh, this is a new low. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, I personally think it was kind of a PR stunt from Brazil to, for some reason, they thought this could make Argentina look bad when in reality, I think everyone looking at the situation probably has got to be thinking, what is the Brazilian government doing on this one? But Evan, I did want to come over you on one yep. point that I didn't mention yet. Um, because these players who went to red list countries, so Emmy Martinez, Emmy Buendia for Villa, and then yep. our boys on Tottenham, Giovanni Lo Celso and Christian and Romero. Romero, they then had to come back and start a 10-day quarantine yep. period. Don't forget with, Sanchez, too. Uh, that's right. Davidson Sanchez from uh, Colombia, also on Tottenham. I believe that's it because I don't think James is really playing for either Everton or no. Columbia at this point. But anyway, so they had to join this 10-day quarantine period, which in the UK would have to be in a specific government um, hotel, which meant you couldn't train or anything. Tottenham found it somewhat of a, a, a way around it to have players go to Croatia to train. It's just some weird, crazy international yeah. beef. But here we are. Tottenham fans <laughs> we did not have Ronaldo, uh, Romero, not Ronaldo, Romero, Sanchez, and Lacelso for a game. Um, how how did you take that, Evan? You know, <laughs> I was thinking about it prior to the international break. That you know, it's inevitable that Tottenham's going to come to some sort of uh, theatrical 
burning collapse in some shape or form. That's just sticking with the Tottenham tradition. You know, that's what you kind of expect being a fan. What I did not expect, though, is that it would come in an international window and just be crippled with, you know, players not being able to play who are completely fit just because of these bogus rules that are going on. And I, I thought it was bizarre how it's only pretty much Tottenham and Aston Villa being impacted by this. Um, and it just goes to show, like, to me, the lack of respect from players for the clubs, but also from the countries of pushing onto and encouraging that. I mean, how can you turn down your country whenever they're calling you up for selection? I think that's like one of the you know biggest honors that any, any player could take up is, you know, holding the mantle for their country. So I think they're put in a predicament that was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I, I don't necessarily fault the players too much for that. Just knowing that, Hey, you want to represent your country, but also I just think it's ridiculous that they're put in that situation and, it's just so bizarre, so bizarre that I don't know. Tottenham has to field this, you know, half half man team because of injuries that they've been plagued with, like Sun over the international break, um, and then Bergwijn also got injured, and then yeah, we have just like three players that just physically cannot um, even return to the country because you have to go to a greenless country mm-hmm. uh, as a compromise, which is Croatia for a ten day quarantine instead of a two week. I, I, I think that's the agreement, but yeah, it's just, yeah. I couldn't expect anything <laughs> crazier. Just kind of lived up actually very much. So exceeded all expectations of the <laughs> international break in many ways. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the listeners, if they weren't aware of this situation are probably like extremely confused. I mean, it, just listening to us talk about, well, then they'd have to go to quarantine and in, in Croatia yeah. and red list and green list. It's just, God, it is a straight up situation. But, uh, oh, sorry. Well, Kyle, it is confusing because the rules changed uh, and back and forth like four different times throughout the process. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, who were the players that were able to play? And I'm certainly not complaining about it because mm-hmm. they are all three uh, Liverpool players, but the Brazilians who actually hosted the tournament and were the ones that red listed the UK to begin with. So how in the world does that happen? It just shows just how completely bizarre the whole situation was. So, but I have to say Evan sounded like a um, completely scarred Spurs fan. So I enjoyed listening <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah uh something tells me i mean we'll get into it later but something tells me that might have affected tottenham's result over the weekend um uh yeah so that <laughs> you can tell uh, we definitely have some scars left over but again it's it, just to add to the confusion these brazilian players that were initially going to be banned then suddenly something was worked out where the brazilian players could play you know just mere hours before so It was just a situation and speaking of situations to sort of pivot back into some games because because there were some this past weekend, Manchester United fans also find themselves in quite the situation after years and years and years of bitching, rightfully so, about uh, Ed Woodward, who is in, you know, in control of transfers, who they sign, who they sell. Um, I think it's fair to say it's been pretty disastrous for a couple of years, kind of turned around with the signing of Bruno Fernandez. But this summer was different for Manchester United. And we've covered this on previous pods, but just to name a few, Rafael Varane, Jaden Sancho, and most importantly, Cristiano Ronaldo 
the King wow. himself comes back to the Premier League, back to Manchester United. Uh, United did his first game back was pretty much perfect for him. Uh, gets to play a lowly Newcastle side in Manchester United, wax them four to one at home. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo bagging a brace in his second debut. Um, Dad, let's go over to you, or I should say, Jeff, got to get used to that still. Um, are you surprised with Ronaldo's return to action and this all happening, you know, the, the brace happening so quickly? Well, first, I just, wow, right? I mean, that was just an incredible return for CR7 to the Premier League. And I must say, it really pains me as a Liverpool fan to even be wasting time talking about Manchester United, but you are spot on, Kyle. They had a great summer. They signed big name players that were more than just big names. They actually fit into a scheme that they're trying to play and they all contributed mightily and look like they're really set up for a successful run at the title. So as I said, that really pains me to say that. Uh, if those of you uninitiated listeners, uh, uh, which are probably very few, <laughs> know that, uh, or may not know, but United has 20 uh, top flight titles and Liverpool has 19. And as a, Liverpool, as a Liverpool fan, you know, it's time to uh, get back on that perch. Uh, for those of you that remember Sir Alex's famous words. But no, in all seriousness, um, wow, Ronaldo just looked great. And watching the match, uh, you know, I was excited. And I never want to watch Manchester United unless it's to watch them lose. And so, you know, being uh, wrapped with attention, uh, watching Ronaldo at Old Trafford, just the electricity every time he touched the ball, his first goal was kind of a poach, um, but that second goal was just, as the great Ray Hudson says, magisterial. Uh, one touch with his right foot uh, you know, onto his left, um, hit a nice low shot. It was just it was beautiful. And the guy's 36 years old, and he's still doing it. So um, I actually think that uh, – you know, he's going to do big things in the EPL season. And, uh, you know, to do that and get Varane and, oh, by the way, Jaden Sancho, who, you know, hasn't played up to his potential yet, but he doesn't have to with that squad. Right. It's just ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I am not a big Ole uh, believer. And so down inside, maybe I'm a little bit happy that they look so good because, uh, that means he'll stick around as a, as a manager. And I just don't think he's that strong tactically, but at the end of the day, you got to stack their roster up against just about any squad, maybe in the world, to be honest yeah. with you. So yeah, they look good. And it was exciting to see Ronaldo back at old Trafford. Uh, grudgingly. I admit that. Yeah. yeah. So, so it seems like no surprises from uh, Jeff on Ronaldo's return. Uh, definitely feel the same way about that. I, I feel like in, in a way the Premier League has been lucky enough to get, in my eyes, the two players who could do this in the Premier League at, at the age of 35 plus. That's Laton and now Ronaldo. I had zero doubts about Ronaldo's ability to bag goal after goal after goal in the Premier League simply because of 
the way he looks after his body. I mean, he has the crazy sleep schedule, sleeping like, you know, short intervals, five times a day. He has his weird like diet thing going on, his cryotherapy, all sorts of weird, crazy shit. But and ultimately, uh, I think Ronaldo, in my personal opinion, will have greater longevity than just about anyone else. And this is one difference between Messi and Ronaldo. Maybe you don't have to get into the conversation, but I can see Ronaldo's longevity really going far beyond that of Messi's. But Evan, I did want to go over to you about Ronaldo on this one. Um, I've been trying to think of an over under for EPL goals, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Cristiano Ronaldo, I guess on one hand, what do you think his impact will be? And on the second, I didn't phrase this right. Maybe you should answer this first. Over under 20 EPL goals, Cristiano Ronaldo, Evan. What will be his impact? Yeah, so I think that's an easy answer. Uh, I mean, he's already 10% of the way there, so I, I think he's easily going to hit 20 goals um, just because, I mean, y- you'll see it at Juventus, at Real Madrid. Anywhere he's gone, he's just – he bags goals. He's a machine. Um, so I think if you're going to go off that metric, I think he crushes that easily. Um, now, whether he's going to drastically improve Man United, um, I think that could be another argument, and I think that's a, a big argument in just – like football world in general. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think he'll hit 20 goals uh, easily. I think he'll not necessarily mold in perfectly with that team because I do think they're more free flowing side or that's what they should really strive to be than um, forming their attack around Ronaldo, which I think he'll definitely take a little bit away from the focal point of Fernandez that they have been building. But I will say from the, the early point of the season so far, it looks like they're, um, you know, getting that chemistry together, that Portuguese magic, which seemed to not be flowing uh, quite fluidly in the, the last, you know, bits that they've played in Portugal. But I think it's tied together pretty well when you have, you know, Paul Pogba in the midfield and you have great wingers to support them too. I mean, that's really good service that they can just provide it to Ronaldo and they have great outlets. So I, I think they're going to be an offensive force. Um, I think it's really only Chelsea to rival that offensive force in, in City. Well, it's hard because Liverpool, I mean, all four of those teams are so close with their offensive output, but I would say it's in the box. I think Ronaldo is just king of, of poaching and just striking in the box. So he, he makes him really scary. Yeah, no, he, he really has become the ultimate poacher. And one thing that I also mm-hmm. didn't, didn't mention that I want to bring up is the player that is returning to the Premier League compared to the player that left the Premier League for Real Madrid is such a different player. Um, a little bit to the detriment for me because I like I did not like Ronaldo at the time because I thought he was a huge flopper. He was bitching all the time. But how entertaining was he his first time around at United? Like shifty winger, taking on people all the time, uh, had bags of tricks, could bang in free kicks, which he can't seem to do anymore, which is really bizarre. I think he has one of the... <laughs> Worst uh, free kick conversion rate uh, in Europe, which is truly bizarre considering how many bangers he had in the past. But what he's turned into is the he's turned from a winger into a true striker, a true number nine who's good in the air, two footed, has great movement and is pretty much the ultimate fox in the box poacher. And so just thinking about, at least in my eyes, before I go to you, Jeff, um, I think United really did need a striker, although I still rate Edison Cavani. So 
Evan, your point on does he improve mm-hmm. United? I see where you're getting at because I don't think he improved Juventus. I actually think Juventus kind of regressed with him. However, I think that's a different situation than Manchester United. I think he's um, just about exactly what they needed. But, Dad, uh, thinking, you know, sort of following that line of thinking, do you think there's something to say about Ronaldo maybe not even being the most important signing of the three? I mean, do does anyone else there, uh, Varane and Sancho, really stand out to you as a more important piece of the puzzle? For sure, Kyle. And I think it's got to be Varane. You got to think about his impact on United's defense. Um, you know, when um, Harry Maguire is your rock in the back, uh, you probably need to upgrade things a little bit. Um, you know, Harry Maguire plays with passion and, uh, you know, he can be effective in the air, but he doesn't have the control, the pace, the you know, long pinpoint balls out of the back. And, uh, you know, I've seen as a Liverpool fan what Van Dyke has done for that team and turned a bunch of, uh, you know, four to three, three to two tight victories, uh, choking at the end of a game, you know, dropping points, uh, turning a win into a draw. So I'm way too much of that. Uh, during the, you know, Stevie G years. And uh, it's about time that Liverpool has a proper center back. And Varane is that for United at a point in time, frankly, where they need that calming influence. So of their three signings, I think he's the one that really elevates their title hopes the most. Ronaldo makes them the most exciting. And then Sancho really is a great buy for the future. So um, I hate to say it, but, you know, I think that uh, the summer that United had, um, you know, really put them in a position to contend. And I, I still like City probably, you know, as my favorite. Their squad is just so deep. But United is almost as deep. And the only other point that I wanted to make, Kyle, and then I'll get off United because it just – I feel like I need to go take a shower now <laughs> <laughs> is uh, – uh, Paul Pogba, that guy has been the one who's been the maestro really pulling the string. So Evan mentioned the chemistry that Bruno and uh, Cristiano have had. And uh, yeah, that's great. But if you think about what United has done so far, um, it's really been the play of Pogba. Um, and uh, I love that guy. I'm kind of pissed that he re-signed with United because uh, – as you know, Kyle, I'm a big France fan internationally, and, you know, he's the the engine of that team. And uh, he gets dogged out in England because he doesn't always look like he's playing 100%. But, boy, he's playing beautifully this year, yeah. let me tell you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, just real quick on Pog before I go back to Evan on this Veron Ronaldo, which signing was most important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that is the big curveball, uh, Paul Pogba. In my eyes, he has more or less wasted a lot of his time at Manchester United in a really disappointing way. I think after Messi and Ronaldo, no doubt in my mind, Neymar and Pogba should be the next the heir appearance of the Ballon d'Or because just their sheer ability is just unreal. Paul Pogba, some of his passing and his, uh, you know, his his tricks, his physicality, even. I mean, he's just ridiculous, ridiculous player. And even though, look. 
I, I need to get a United fan on here because uh, pretty much me, Je- me and Justin, all three of us here, none of us are big United fans at all. But I think for the neutral fan, we all want to see Pogba do his thing. So anyway, yeah. that's my piece on that. Uh, Evan, I did real quick, just a real quick answer before we go into the roundup of matches yeah. here. I want to pose that question to you. Which signing of United's was most important for their squad in your eyes? I mean, I got to go with the same answer, Varane. Um, pretty much the, the same reasons that uh, Jeff listed. I just think he's – their defense needed a real focal point. Uh, and, and as he was saying, I, I thought Maguire is he's, – he's a good center back, but I think when you're going to have title aspirations or European aspirations, you need to have a world-class center back. So bringing in Varane in there, I think, really shores up their defense and, and adds the additional layer of leadership and experience because he's been there, he's done that. You know, he's won yeah. pretty much every big trophy that you can win. So I, I think that's a, a major point to have his mentality in there, his experience, but then also Ronaldo's. So I, I would say that Veron edges it out. Um, and then, yeah, I would say Ronaldo second and then Sancho third. And I would say Sancho third is for the fact that, I mean, he can struggle um, this year and I still don't think it really matters um, right. because he's a young player who has a lot of like bags of talent, um, and whether, you know, he, he finds his form this year or he kind of continues his trend of not, not fulfilling his full potential, even though we've all seen it, we know it's there. Look, he can still have an off year and then ball up, you know, the rest of his years in this contract, and that's completely fine just because their team is so deep now. But I would say, I would say um, the one spot that I think United really missed out on, which I think many United fans will tend to agree is um, – Get, getting a good CDM. Yeah. Um, they have to, uh, like, that's just the one spot in their team that I, I just feel like it's neglected. I don't think any of their options there are really that good, to be honest. Like, I think you can have, I don't know, like, a, Fred, like there, there are, yeah, there are many teams in the top eight that I would take their, like, CDMs over for sure. I mean, I, I feel like they have, like, a mid-table CDM selection, to be honest, but yep. that's just my my input but yeah looping back to it it's gotta be Veron. yeah well i wish i could play devil's advocate and give you a different answer but i truly with my heart also feel like we're Veron. and uh i'll end this on my favorite fact of all uh manchester united spent half of the money on Veron that they did on slabhead mcguire somehow and even better <laughs> uh Veron was cheaper than a um specific ben white who went to arsenal wow who- Poor Ben White. He uh, he's just getting ran through the ringer for the pod Overrated. this season. Uh, there were some other games this weekend. I'm gonna before we jump into Liverpool and Tottenham to focus on the guests and their clubs. Uh, did just want to run through some scores. I will leave City for the end, just in case you guys have some thoughts on that. But I'm just gonna run through them all here. Uh, Wolves beat Watford two nil away. Huang Hee Chan, a Korean guy. Uh, who's honestly a pretty physical beast, scored on his debut. Brighton beat Brentford 1-0 at the, at the very, very, very end, I think the 93rd, 94th minute, something like that. Arsenal, they're not in the last anymore. They scored the first goal of the season. Good for them. Nice. Congrats. Big, big congrats. They beat but now bottom side Norwich 1-0. Aubameyang with the goal. Good for them. Good for Arsenal. Um, Southampton and West Ham uh, played out a game that I hope none of you woke up early to watch, nil-nil. Mikel Antonio, who's probably been the best uh, fantasy player, and I think he won Premier League player of the season, 
uh, player of the uh, month, I should say rather, um, had a red card in a stinker, but oh well, it happens. Uh, Chelsea wax Aston Villa 3 0, but now that I say wax, I actually don't think the scoreline told the whole story. I thought Aston Villa pre- played quite well. Um, Lukaku had some more goals, of course. Um, and then lastly, before we go into City, Everton sma- uh, smacked Burnley 3 1 which was a bizarre game, honestly. Everton scored all three goals within a very, very tight timeline of each other. Uh, Lastly, on paper, this seemed like the biggest game of the weekend, but that ended up being dominated by Ronaldo. Uh, Leicester lost at home by one goal to nil to Manchester City, um, which, you know, that's always going to be a tough game there. But uh, how about, uh, let's go over to Evan. Anything there stand out to you with those matches? Um. You know, for the most part, I think I expected a lot of these results. Maybe not the scoreline. Like, I thought the Man City game and Leicester game would for sure have some more goals in it, um, just given the offensive output of either one of the teams. I would say the West Ham game surprises me quite a bit just because with West Ham's form, you know, at the end of last season, but then also this season alike, it's just I, I couldn't see them drawing to Southampton. Um, but you know, I think the red card played a major key in that. Um, I don't know what minute Mikhail uh, Antonio got the red. Um, I guess in the, uh, the 95th, 95th. Yeah, so they had him oh, okay. the whole game. So like, yeah. yeah, that's just you know that's surprising. But it, it happens in the prem. That can happen. You know, any week you can have an odd result. But yeah, I would say for the most part, not too surprising. And dad, I'll come over to you. Uh, anything uh, on one hand, does anything stand out to you um, out of those matches? And then if you uh, don't have a long answer, I would love to get your thoughts on Manchester City's lack of goals. Are you concerned? So first question, anything else stand out to you there? Yeah, just a couple highlights. I mean, I think Evan hit the nail on the head with the West Ham Southampton game. I was surprised with that. I feel like West Ham has been in good form to start the season. Um, and, uh, you know, them not scoring um, surprised me. Uh, I think uh, Brighton, look what they've done. Grandpa, great. you know, yeah. how's that team? You know, yeah, they scored late. Yeah, they you know, struggled to win the game, but they won the game. They got three points. Brett Brentford has looked good to start the season. They look like the darling, you know, promoted team. There's always one every year. They're the one this year. And, uh, you know, Brighton just keeps on doing it. So I was impressed with that. Uh, you know, I was glad to see Wolves get back on track. Um, I like their squad a lot. Um, we'll keep waiting for, Raul to score a goal. He's been on my fantasy team the last couple of years. So kind of disappointed there, although he still looked good despite, you know, the school fracture from last year. He's Mm -hmm. been very active in creating chances, which is great. And then, you know, it's weird to see Everton with Rafa um, pacing the sidelines. um, And apparently, you know, we're okay with that at Anfield. So that kind of surprises me too, but that just shows you how classy Liverpool yeah. fans are. What can oh, I say okay. about that? So uh, regarding uh, City and their lack of goals, um, no, not really. It doesn't really disturb me because, you know, Pep 
through his career has sort of been known as a tinkerer. And I think, you know, he's got this Rolls Royce of a squad that is like, you know, world-class, two world-class players deep at every position. Um, no, they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll get it together. And, uh, you know, even if they don't have a proper number nine, um, which sorry guys, I, I know, uh, you guys are fretting the idea of them coming after, uh, Harry Kane, but, uh, I don't think they need a number nine. Honestly, I still think they are the best team in the EPL. And um, when they are at their best, uh, they are very hard to beat. So that's my, that's my view on city. They always seem to every season have a little wobble except for, well, actually even the year that they got the hundred points, they had a wobble early in the season. And then last year, geez, I yeah. think I saw some stat that around Christmas time, they were not even in the Champions League places. They were like eighth or something. Yeah, people and were riding them off 10 exactly. games. Exactly. So, Crazy. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't really concern me, Kyle. So. Well, a whole lot to un- a whole lot to unpack there, uh, and I'm trying to keep everyone on Sorry. time. So, unfortunately, we won't be. I, I would love to talk more about Kane and City and uh, – I guess the one thing I would quickly touch upon, um, a lot of people seem to be changing their prediction for title winners this year because City did not sign Kane and because Chelsea signed Lukaku. What I would remind everyone, though, uh, City basically won the title like easily last season without a striker, more or less without a striker, because Aguero hardly played. He uh, had surgery in February or something, so he could be ready for this season. Um, yeah, he hardly played and they had Gabby Jesus up top. Sometimes I feel like most times they had, uh, De Bruyne, I think was the false nine mostly. And now we're seeing Ferran Torres. So I would just like to remind everyone that city basically cakewalked to the title last season without a striker, at least on the pitch. So interesting, 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 but dad, Jeff, I should say rather let's move on to your team, Liverpool. Um, you'll never walk alone, I guess. And you know, the rest, they went to, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting Leeds stadium. Uh, Ellen road. Ellen Ellen road. Yeah. In case anyone, uh, maybe this was not a good, uh, game to really gauge it by, but for new fans of the premier league, or really just anyone who has, isn't familiar with Leeds and, and what Leeds is and what they represent. Uh, Ellen road is probably the only place in the premier league that could probably give Anfield a little bit of a run for its money. Um, absolutely unbelievable atmosphere. Did it phase Liverpool whatsoever, though? Uh, no. Liverpool won 3-0. Uh, some interesting talking points here, but before we get into what people will almost certainly remember this game for, Dad, I just want to very, very generally ask you before we get into the game, how are you feeling about Liverpool going into the season? I think that uh, I'm... I, I love the starting squad. I think Liverpool has maybe the best 11 that you could put on the pitch um, and at least compete, you know, with the top teams in the world. And uh, then they have maybe four or five additional complete world-class players that they could bring in off the bench. However, I feel like they have missed opportunities the past couple of years to really build out some depth and they've carried some dead wood in the squad. 
And out of the dead wood that they've carried in the squad, uh, they've only been able to offload uh, Shakiri, I think, you know, and uh, they still have Divock Origi, uh, you know, they still have, uh, uh, you know, Nabi Keita's getting minutes, Oxley Chamberlain, Ox, yeah. you know, I mean, that guy, great team player, you know, um, good teammate, but 35 million, you know, come he's, on. He's given nothing. It, it, he really is. So, I think they missed some windows of opportunity. I think they could have sold those guys. Yes, not gotten as much as they wanted. And yes, I know they're a pay play as you or yeah, play as you pay, pay as you play. I don't know. There we go. And yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Club, but but they missed an opportunity. Um, And so I'm disappointed. That's why I opened with the comments that I did because. you know, a couple of injuries and, you know, we're back to where we were last year. So we did shore up that issue and went out and got Konate, uh, but they haven't even played him. So, and they may never play him this year just because I think their preferred starting duo is Van Dyke and uh, Mate. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm feeling really good about uh, them. I think, Again, though, Kyle, they're going to have to really focus on one trophy or another. And that's what happens when you don't have a deep squad. So I feel like if they really want to compete for, you know, Champions League title, FA Cup, uh, League Cup, uh, and the EPL, they need some depth in the squad. And I'm just very disappointed that they didn't uh, freshen up there. They've got some good young talent, um, and I'm glad that uh, they are going to have those kids uh, play. You know, I'm excited about Curtis Jones coming back and getting some more time. Um, and uh, but you know, the next uh, topic of conversation, yeah. I think that's in everyone's mind. You know, really unfortunate to see what happened with Harvey Elliott because he was a real deal. I mean, honestly, when you uh, if you watched him against Chelsea. Wow. I mean, he was one of the, you know, four best players on the field, um, yeah. you know, during throughout the game. And um, he was the one that was really getting the balls to Salah in the places that, you know, he wanted it against uh, Chelsea. So um, disappointing there. But uh, I just I think Liverpool um, has a great squad uh, and their starting squad is great, but they don't have enough depth to uh, compete for everything. So Champions League, yes. Um, mm. You know, maybe third, maybe second, yes. But title, I think that's a push. So, mm. yeah, I would love to come back to Harvey Elliott in just a second. But Evan, I the only reason I'm not pivoting to Harvey Elliott right now is because I I, I think uh, Jeff's uh, it still feels weird to say uh, Jeff's comment on the transfer window, uh, resting on our laurels, carrying too much deadwood, uh, not missing out opportunity, missing on opportunities to fill out the squad. Uh, that all sounds kind of familiar to us. Oh yeah. Yeah, So, uh, one, I would love for you to extrapolate on that a little bit. And two, I'm curious what you think of Liverpool's transfer window because, well, I, I'll just stop talking. I would just love to get your thoughts on transfer window. Yeah, you know, I think it is a very similar situation to Tottenham. Uh, was it two seasons ago? Oh, or was it? Ever since I've been three? a fan. 
<laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. To be honest, yeah. yeah but there's that that window where, uh, yeah, we didn't buy a single player in a summer transfer window, which is only oh, time that's ever happened. Yeah, yep. yeah, pretty absurd. I mean, honestly, that guy, that's that's pretty ridiculous. You know, Levy was sitting there, you know, pennies in his even, pocket, saving up. But even, Bur- even Burnley has signed a player every transfer window since they've been exactly. And so. But, but I will say it is slightly different from the fact that Liverpool has uh, tasted success and, you know, they won Champions League, got the Premier League. Uh, I think their team is is better and deeper, even in its current state, than Tottenham's was at the time. Like, I think Tottenham was I, – I remember it was, like, pretty much literally their starting 11 was, like, that was the squad that took them uh, to, like, yeah. second in the Prem. It took them to um, the Champions League final. Like, it was that starting 11. Um, and I, I think – my fear is that if Liverpool doesn't start signing players, they're going to get into the stage that Tottenham was for the fact that they Liverpool has tied down a lot of their key players to long-term contracts. He renewed it. So like what Tottenham did with like for Tong and Alderweireld and a couple yeah. of their other aging players. Um, I mean, Musa Sissoko is like a big example of that. Yeah. Uh, Lamella too. And so they're, they're tying down these players who, yes, they were a key part of the squad, but it's, at the expense of if you're going to bring in some younger players that'll help fill out the squad and instead you're relying more so on, on what you're comfortable with and, you know, just stepping out there and touching the unknown and getting some new players into your team and trying to make it competitive and build that mentality push forward. I think it's whenever you start yeah. to stagnate and you're complacent with where you're at, I, I think that is a sign of trouble. And I, I still think Liverpool is fine as they are. Um, I do think they, they could definitely build out a couple spots, but I think they're the dark horses for the Premier League this year. I truly do. I think everyone's sleeping on them. I mean, as dad was saying, or Jeff rather <laughs> is saying that like, yeah, I, I, I think them or city feel the best 11. Um, and that that's just hard to beat. You know, if, if they don't have yeah. the horrific injury record, which they had last year, you know, hope lightning doesn't strike twice. Then I, I still see him as, you know, serious serious contenders uh, and in even so look the winter transfer window is coming up i'm sure they've heard a lot of the noise around liverpool fans complaining and i mean if they do drop some points or not performing what they want they can still go out and make some acquisitions and winners so i don't think it's the end of the world as, as we've all seen a winter transfer window can change things so i wouldn't count them out yet that's my take yeah it's, it's interesting what you said about liverpool being a dark horse uh for the premier league this season I uh, feel like everyone is writing off Liverpool and people are even putting just casually putting, oh, Manchester United, Chelsea and City will go for the title. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, OK, I know United signed Ronaldo and Veron, but let's calm down. They still have Ali as manager and a whole lot of massively underperforming players like you never know what you're going to get from Paul Pogba. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Liverpool is definitely a I can't believe they're a dark horse because I. <laughs> you think that all their players come back from injury would sort of negate that. And if anything, it'd mean that they're back. Uh, But it is kind of a risk to um, keep going with the same, not really freshen up the squad. You know, I refer to uh, dad, your point on um, the Deadwood earlier, but this idea of freshening up the squad, I think is interesting because I think this will sound like blasphemy because Salah, Mane, Firmino have been unbelievable. Uh, the best attacking Trident, arguably, in all of the world. But 
I do wonder if that front three needed a little bit, something different, a little bit of freshening up. And I think this is interesting because Mohamed Salah has been on great goal scoring form so far this season and dad and, or Jeff, I'm just gonna call you that from now on. Uh, this is interesting because I remember you telling me this summer, or maybe it was a year ago that, you know what you would consider cashing in a Mohamed Salah just to freshen up that front three a little bit. Uh, are you still feeling that way? Well, I think you got to look at the economics of the situation, Kyle. So, um, and um, first of all, I totally agree with you about the front three. And uh, I think that the Liverpool ownership agrees with you as well. And the coaching staff, which is why you see um, Diago Jota getting the time that he's getting, you know, he, was the one that really carried them in that period last year where they kind of transitioned from really struggling to being on that 10 game run that they went on at the end of the year to get that last champions league spot, which ended up being third place. But you look at Mane the last couple of years, uh, you know, he seems to be kind of wasteful in front of goal and um, Salah is the money man, but kind of like you guys with Harry Kane. I mean, I don't part with Salah unless I get 150 mil, you know, and with 150 mil with Michael Edwards at the helm, although apparently not forever, um, but with Klopp and his pulling power of top talent, I think that, you know, they could get four really good players for that. And what I think Liverpool needs, you guys talk about United needing a, um, CDM, uh, Liverpool needs a creative attacking mid. Um, they have not had that since Coutinho left. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, they haven't really missed it so much because of their pressing style, but they could be so much more devastating if they had somebody who was just a, a maestro, you know, up top. Of course, who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't be better with a player like that? But, uh, I think that's where they're a bit vulnerable. So, yeah, I still say I'm okay with cashing in on him um, as long as it's the right price and uh, as long as someone like Madrid is willing to ridiculously overpay for him, why not? Yeah, and I lastly, I did want to quickly, before we pivot over to Spurs, sadly, uh, I did want to circle back to Harvey Elliott and uh, dad, I'm going to come back to you um, real quick. I, I, I was shocked to see Harvey Elliott playing in the midfield three. I always saw him as a winger cutting in from the left, highly technical, good decision-making, good vision, you name it. Um, especially for an English player, you don't really get very many technical English players like that. But now that he's been in the midfield and he has a, what looks, it's a broken ankle, right? It's not a broken leg, which. Yes. Ankle. Yeah. So that's, that's good news. It'll be a quicker recovery. At least you would think, but what, what does that mean to Liverpool's midfield? I remember you saying, uh, telling me off air a while ago that part of the reason why they didn't sign a midfielder is because he emerges to Harvey Elliott. So where does this leave Liverpool's midfield situation? Well, I think you saw his performances and uh, it sort of vindicated Liverpool, you know, uh, not to the true fan, because I think, you know, Liverpool fans saw that Harvey Elliott had that potential in a couple of years, 
let's go and sign a guy who can bring that, you know, world-class right now. And it's not like they didn't have options, Kyle, as you know, there were lots of names in the mix that uh, have been flirting with expressing an interest in playing for Klopp at Liverpool, you know, um, what a great draw, you know, we have having a manager like that who bonds with all the players, but, you know, yeah, the injury um, hurts their depth in the midfield for sure, Kyle. And now that the transfer window's closed, if they want to do anything about it, they've got to wait until the winter window. What it does do is it puts more pressure on Nabi Keita, as I mentioned uh, his name earlier. You know, he was the big money signing a couple of years ago. They waited uh, six months for him to come from, um, I think it was uh, Salzburg, Red Bull. Uh, yeah. Maybe Leipzig, mm-hmm. one of them, one of the Red Bull clubs I know. And um, that guy has just been glass, you know. He can't uh, last more than a couple consecutive games. And, you know, he's picked up an injury. He looks pretty good when he goes forward, but he's not very good getting back. And he leaves the team vulnerable to counterattack. And so I just, you know, he's not the answer. I like Curtis Jones. I think, you know, good young player, but. Harvey Elliott was exciting to watch play and Jones is much more, um, you know, sort of uh, paint by the numbers to me, the way he he plays. I mean, he's a good central midfielder, but Harvey Elliott uh, is electric. So I hope that his injury is not too bad, but yeah, it hurts. Um, I don't know how much they were really counting on him though, Kyle, to be honest with you. So, you know, we'll see. I think, uh, if they get another injury in the midfield, then it will be a concern. But, you know, the great thing about Liverpool is they have a lot of different type of players in the midfield. They have Jordan Henderson, they have Thiago, they've got Fabinho, lots of versatility there. Um, You know, lots of uh, guys who can play different um, positions. So I'm not too worried about it. Um, My biggest concern, as I mentioned at the top is, uh, you know, just their lack of depth. I wish they had um, two or three more really good players. I look at somebody like uh, Saul uh, Niguez from uh, Atleti. You know, shoot, we could have had him for 30 mil. That's nothing for a player who I think is pretty close to world-class. And that guy's just going to sit on the bench at Chelsea. You know, he is, you know, he'll get some time he'll play in the cups and he'll get the occasional start, but Mason Mount's going to get his time, you know, he, um, he's the one who uh, got dropped. So I just, it's disappointing to me that they didn't pull the trigger on that one. He did start in his debut though. It wasn't a great debut, but he did. I know he did, but trust me, watch the whole season. He's not going to play much. I mean, who would you rather, would you really regularly play him him over Kovacic? Yes, I would. Okay. Kovacic maybe. Okay. I was thinking, I guess it depends on where Mount is, you know, because he's, He's so flexible. And like, I used to be a, uh, Jorginho hater, but, uh, the guys had a hell of a year, you know, for both yeah. Chelsea and Italy. And I think everyone's finally starting. He's no longer Sari's dog or whatever people were calling him, you know, it was totally unfair. Sure. Uh, and you know, he, yeah. Anyway, I digress, but I totally see what you're saying. And you didn't I, I even think, talk about Conte. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, you know, Conte starting, <laughs> you just know it. A CDM in the world. Um, anyway, obviously, I'm frustrated with our lack of action, and I know that that is a common theme for the 
for the ailing uh, Spurs fan as well, guys. So uh, maybe that's a point to transition to Spursdom, right, Kyle? I was going to say that is a perfect segue over to Spurs. Um, Evan, coming over to you. Uh, very generally, look, it's been a good start to the season. The game was challenging, but before we even talk about the game, generally speaking, how are you feeling about Spurs? The Nuno and Paratici area era is in. How are you feeling? You know, I think uh, honestly, I'm feeling pretty good. I still think they're finding out their style. I still think it's going to take some time to get away from that Mourinho era um, with them just being <clears throat> pragmatic and sitting back and, and I think that's going to take some time whenever you indoctrinate some players. You can't expect them to just change based off of three games. You know, I, I know that they haven't been the most exciting to watch. Um, I, I do think the City game was pretty fun to watch. I mean, I was, I was watching with someone who is a neutral, and they thought Spurs played pretty well. And I thought that was a, a telling sign that, look, they're not just going to be this pragmatic team. That isn't what they want to be, just to sit back and, um, you know, hit them on the counterattack and that's it, be their sole identity. Um, and I think Nuno's cognizant of that along with uh, Paratici. And I, I think that they're going in, in a, a good direction. I mean, you can see that with getting Emerson Morial more attacking right back. Um, I think you can see with Pape Mate Sar too, in uh, Brian Hill, to be honest. Um, and I yeah, think man. Romero too. Romero's an aggressive center back. I mean, I, I think he's pretty commanding. And from the clips I've seen of Romero, he is pretty aggressive commanding. He's, uh, good at bringing the ball forward too. He isn't the best at dribbling or passing, but that you don't really need that whenever you're a center back, you know? Um, but I just think someone to uh, lead the team in the future. And I, I think it's, it's good, but it's, it's going to take some time um, to see how it really pans out. I don't, I don't think people should rush it per se, especially because the players that we're getting, um, I would like to see some players come in that are, fit for the first team the second that they land. Um, I think Tottenham should be going for that, especially because our aspirations is to get top four, whether that's realistic or not. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're in that top four echelon for sure. I think we're probably the fifth team out of that. I do think people are yeah, maybe sleeping on eh, Yeah. Well, honestly, like Tottenham squad that went all the way to the champions league two years ago is for the most part intact um and also i think last year um tottenham really screwed it up with just dropping some points they shouldn't have to be honest i know a lot of teams did that but people are forgetting it, like the amount of bad spells tottenham went on last year um to really One. just fumble the bag and i still think look, dropped points at the end of just about every game <laughs> no precisely like, that's my point and if you just add a little bit more organization and better defense i think you eliminate <laughs> a couple of those uh results for sure like easily, I think that adds like, I'm not going to say any point number, but I think that easily adds enough to edge over West Ham last year, like at least close that gap to top four. I think they're four points away from it. Super close. And I, I think that's something to be cognizant of. And I do think they had a good uh, transfer window. So all in all, um, I feel pretty good. I know it's being super pessimistic earlier, but that's just tapping into the, uh, the Tottenham mindset. But to be honest, yeah. like, yeah, baby, you, you got to, have your expectations measured uh but all in all i i think tottenham are going to go in a good direction i do think like always people are counting them out um but i i think i think they're pretty they're doing pretty good but not by a recent result and luck as of late but they're all right 
you know, people love to dog on Spurs and Spurs fans. But one thing I will say about Spurs fans and my God, it's like 15 years of Spurs fandom now. It's kind of weird to think <laughs> about. Uh, Spurs fans are honest and yeah. they're realistic and we don't get carried away with shit. And after three wins on the trot, three one no wins. Everyone knew it was coming. Everyone was like, you know, not getting too excited because we see the remnants of Mourinho there and we know it'll take a little while to uh, coach it out. Might I remind you that the very beginning of Jose Mourinho's time, it was like goal, 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 concede three goals, you know, which under Jose is unheard of. So it'll take a little while to uh, sort of weed that out, I guess, because I think it was kind of a poison on the club personally. I'm kind of jumping in here and it's just like totally against the Spurs DNA. I've never seen a defensive Spurs team in my life. And the reason why I was initially drawn to them were their crazy four, three games where they were all about style and attacking play almost to a fault. I mean, they were just ridiculous to watch. Uh, anyway, I digress. The show isn't about me. It's about Evan and pops <laughs> over here, but I did real quick before we get into the game, Evan. And I know yeah. we're uh, keeping my eye on the time here. I did want to get your thoughts on the transfer window and more specifically one that isn't necessarily, that isn't a player. So real quick, they signed Golini uh, and goal backup potentially coming in as a starter next season. Pape Sar, 18 year old who I don't know much about who apparently is, is uh, a a good prospect. Brian Heal, Spanish tricky winger. Who's I might be the most excited about out of all of them. Christian Romero is a big signing, though, the the star center back that they mm-hmm. needed. Uh, what I've seen of him is him playing for Argentina and Copa America. And all I got to say is the guy likes to crack some skulls, which uh, Spurs have oh, definitely. Um, and Emerson, Emerson Royale. Yeah, from yep. Barcelona to replace Serge Aurier as an attacking right back. I think it's some decent business. Uh, I think there is a notable absence of a second striker, which I... I'm dumbfounded that we're in this situation again. Like Kane will probably have to play conference league, which is yeah. just ridiculous. But Evan, yeah. what I really wanted to ask you about is the new director of football, Fabio Paratici. Yeah. Um, less footballing decisions in uh, Daniel Levy's hands. Yep. What are your thoughts? No, I'm loving it. I got to say Paratici is just, the way he he works, he's always on his phone. I mean, you can see the passion. I've seen some videos of just him in the dugout, just like absolutely going ape shit. Uh, just wh- whether it's on a tackle or like Dele Ali had this great block. I think it was in City where it was like him and Skip, you know, dove in. And then I saw the uh, dugout uh, images of Pratici and uh, Steve Hitchin just you know going yeah, wild. And I was like, yeah, I was like, what. Like, where have these guys been? Where has the passion from the dugout been internally from Tottenham? I mean, you typically see those uh, pictures uh, of, like, Daniel Levy just sitting there with, you know, just no emotion, no expression, just looking like Mark Zuckerberg, lizard, like, just no no human emotions there, right? And so I think it's good whenever you have figures that come in that are passionate and and want to take it places. Like a Pochettino. Um, the days of Martin Yol uh, getting all up in Arsene Wenger's face are long gone. Man, I, I miss that guy. Anyway, sorry, going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I was just gonna say, I think the signings are telling. Um, Brian Hills is awesome. Um, I, I heard some players uh, <laughs> like talking about how he's like a, a retro player from like the the seventies or like or sixties of just like a lot of flair. They like to take people on just. Um, 
are not inverted wingers. I mean, it's the the era of inverted wingers where players like to cut in, be super aggressive, and you don't yeah, see don't like those it. players that that take people on and are very flashy, and then they whip in the ball for crosses. and 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 I think he's that guy, and and he has a lot yeah. to bring. Um, but yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of young, driven players that are going to add a lot to the squad, and I think are only going to get better. So. So I want to give us a little reality check and bring this over yep. to the, I was going to say neutral fan, but Liverpool fan, uh, Jeff, from the outside looking in, uh, what are you, what do you make of Tottenham Hotspur football club? And I guess where they are right now. <laughs> well, I think, you know, Kyle, as you know, uh, growing up in my household, I am a passionate, uh, Cal Bears football fan. And um, let me just say, going through that uh, pain helps me really understand the psyche of the Tottenham Hotspur fan. So uh, it's akin to the Chicago Cubs or the Boston Red Sox, you know, 20 years ago before either one of those teams won their title. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's frustrating, you know, because you say it's a realistic perspective, but really it's almost like a, uh, a counter psychology. Like you're telling Absolutely. yourself, you know, you don't want to, when your team is playing beautifully, your main thought is how are we going to screw this up and uh, block <laughs> points, right? So I get it. I get exactly. it. As a Cal fan, I am never comfortable with a 15 point lead with, three minutes left because I've actually seen Cal lose a game like that. Oh my God. Against your Washington Huskies. And I think it was, uh, I don't remember the year, but it was back in the late nineties. So, but I digress, Kyle. That being said, um, you know, after analyzing the psychology of the Spurs fan, I would feel pretty good if I was you guys. I mean, uh, you mentioned uh, Paratici, uh, you talked about the good uh, talent, not just good talent, but good young talent. And, um, you know, in different parts of the field, um, they just did great business. And I know you guys always whine and complain about Spurs and how lame their transfer windows are. But, hey, I think except for United, you know, and maybe Chelsea, uh but maybe City. No, I just, you know, okay, except for the teams that really splashed the cash, I think they had a great offseason. So, and I really like Nuno. I think, uh, you know, I enjoyed watching Wolves play under, um, you know, his uh, leadership. Uh, yes, they were a little defensive last year, but they were defensive because they had to be. Yeah. Raul broke his skull and they, you know, had to, retool things but um they, Odin's, Neto they all went down long-term injuries. yes that's right but they were a fun team to watch and uh you know uh say what you want about the three wins that Tottenham started the season with but they were uh playing hard and uh they were committed um they were playing like a team they were talking to each other uh, they were in the right position. And so I saw some signs of goodness. The game against Palace was a complete shit show, let's be honest. But, yeah. you know, you're going to have a game like that. And, uh, you know, maybe it's okay to have a game like that against mm-hmm. a team like Palace at this point in the season because it really grounds you and, and tells you, 
truly where you are. And I think Evan's right. You know, they're not a top four team. I mean, I think we have enumerated the top four pretty clearly. It's City, it's yep. United, it's Chelsea, and it's Liverpool, you know, and then maybe it's, you know, debatably Leicester, uh, Tottenham, um, Everton, West Ham. Yeah, West Ham, those four, you know, that's yep. the next. The next tier, honestly, if I look at a squad on its entirety, I would put Spurs um, as the best of those four squads. So you guys should feel good about that. Yeah, but, uh, squad. Exactly. But, um, you know, and the stadium. Hey, the stadium's great. That's going to generate some financial power. And, um, you know, they should be able to turn that into their advantage. So if I was a Spurs fan, maybe I would be in the – uncomfortable position of actually looking pretty optimistically at the future. So wow. good luck with that guys. I'm sure you guys will figure out a way to machinate your way into some sort of depression, but um, I actually like Spurs squad and I'll, I'll conclude wow. my comments with that. Yeah. I guess that's kind of surprising. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm also surprised. I was, I was uh, thinking we were going to be brought crashing down to earth, but you Probably did shadow. mention you did mention the Crystal Palace game, and I believe you called it a shit show. Um, I think that's basically. A <laughs> Can I say that game. on your podcast, Kyle? I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. We yeah, we're we uh, we're mostly family friendly, but we let it fly sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned it was a shit show. Indeed, it was. Uh, so let's talk about that game. It's the last oh, game yeah. we have not talked about. Spurs went over to Crystal Palace, who they usually have a number over, but Crystal Palace under a new manager, Patrick Vieira of Arsenal fame, looking for his very first win as Crystal Palace manager. Uh, he picked the perfect game to do it as Crystal Palace smacked and dominated Spurs 3-0 at home. Wow. Okay, that looks really bad on paper. Watching the game, it was bad. Spurs did not play well. However, we did mention all that they had basically half their starting lineup out. Um, so, Evan, I'll come over to you. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, on the surface, before you get into the details, is this as bad as it looks? So, uh, honestly, uh, I think uh, how a lot of people have been phrasing it, smacked and dominated, or like, I, I don't think that's truly what happened. I think, honestly, before the red card, both teams just like that. They're just absolutely shooting blanks. I mean, it was just like watching two teams just at like no offensive output. Yeah. Crystal palace did not well, look palace had shots at least, but yeah, I think they had one shot on goal prior to that red card. Um, but fair. still, I mean, besides Zaha turning Emerson Royale a couple times and whipping in some crosses, I, I mean, neither team looked convincing or like, or likely to score even um, until that Tenganga um, yellow car where you know, he just <laughs> went absolutely not like uh, obliterated uh, Wolf Zaha after I think it was Mora went down. And he got frustrated that he didn't kick the ball out. So he went over there and, and pushed him to the ground. I think that's when the, the, the tone changed because that obviously riled up Palace and then lost his head, got a red. Um, and then, yeah, whenever we don't have any center backs besides Joe Roden and then uh, I think they brought in Ben Davis. Ben Davies yep. in there. Yeah, that's it's atrocious. Um, so I think that is more so to blame. And I don't think it's as bad as it looks. Yeah, it's terrible, you know, given Tottenham's record versus Palace. I think it was they hadn't lost since like 2015 or something like that um, to Palace since then. But 
you know, I think given the circumstances with the players out, it being at um, Selhurst Park and being a man down, it was just like the perfect storm um, to just take the L. Plus with Patrick Vieira, <laughs> just rub salt in the wounds. But my my take overall is, yeah, we got, you know, dunked on for sure. But mm-hmm. I don't think it was as bad as people say. I mean, they didn't look threatening until after the red card. And then by then there was 30 minutes left. And, and if you look back at the goals, it was like, pretty much Tottenham's fault. Like they could have been pretty much easily avoidable except for that last uh, goal to hammer home. Yeah. But like, I don't know, it was just defensive mistakes and whatever you had playing, you're like C tier um, yeah. defenders and that's going to happen. Yeah. What I will say though, real quick before this is just all totally dominated by Spurs. I did want to take a second to appreciate Crystal Palace um, under Patrick Vieira. Look, I know he's an Arsenal guy, but I used to love watching Patrick Vieira play. Dennis Bergkamp is one of my favorite all-time Premier League players, which feels weird, really weird to say, but it's just true. The guy's beautiful to watch. But what I'm getting at is this is a Crystal Palace side that has gone through all of the managers in the Premier League that are known to just keep you up. You know, Roy Hodgson, uh, Sam Allardyce, uh, Alan Pardew, there's probably someone else I'm missing. Tony Pulis. Tony Pulis. I knew there was one. Tony Pulis. I mean, this is a team that has just been miserable to watch for years mm-hmm. and years and years. They shed about 10, they released like 10 players yep. uh, who would. all ran out of contracts Some big names that they played with for a long time. They had a huge summer, took the gamble on Patrick Vieira and within even their first three games, but especially this game, you can tell a clear difference in this Crystal Ballast side. They press with energy as a team. They're a whole lot younger, and they're actually kind of fun to watch. And uh, Eberichi Eze will come back. Zaha is somehow still there. I mean, people talk about Kane being held hostage by Spurs, which is nonsense. Talk about Zaha Palace. I mean, come on, man. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to give Palace a quick shout-out because yeah. I did think they were very well good in this game. Uh, but that being said... Evan, the, the center back situation. So they started the game. No Romero, no Sanchez. Dyer gets hurt within 10 minutes. We didn't mention that. Hospital then, pass from Uri's. And, and then we're left with Tanganga, who we haven't seen play center back in <laughs> a very long time. Is still a young player, clearly, because he lost his head and, quite frankly, honestly, arguably lost this game, even though I thought he played well. And then Joe Roden. And then when Tanganga gets red, you know, we yeah. already have our only center back on the yeah. pitch. So I do think that did contribute to this match. Uh, Palace didn't really look like scoring before uh, the red card and then the penalty. I don't know what Davies is doing on the penalty. Um, but what I the reason I'm concerned about this game, first are the stats, and second are yep. the So the stats here, Spurs had two shots total. That's not on target. Total mm-hmm. one shot on target from Lucas, which is straight at the keeper. Spurs had 37% possession. And the most damning of all is the XG or expected goals <laughs> ratio. Crystal Palace had 2.4. Of course, like a full point goes to a uh, penalty. So it's kind of conflated there. But Spurs, 0.1 XG. I believe that is the lowest this season of any team in any game. Wow. Pretty yeah. damning. Uh, I am also concerned about the lineup, 4-3-3, the three midfielders, none of which have any attacking side of their game. Uh, Skip, 
Hoiberg and Harry Winks. I am tempted to scapegoat Harry Winks, but I'll I'll try to resist because oh, as a man. former center mid myself, I'm I just I don't understand what I'm looking at when I watch him play. But you basically are setting up the team to have Kane, Lucas, and Delhi, who has been way off the boil for years, as your only three attackers on the pitch. Could I feel like Nuno learned stuff about the Spurs squad that Spurs fans have known for quite a while in this game. Am I crazy in thinking this, Evan? And what generally, what were your thoughts on the lineup? Yeah, I thought uh, I thought he was on some serious drugs when he put out that lineup. <laughs> I mean, you have three CDMs that just we we know they have no creativity when you have um, Hoybeers, Skip, and Winks, and it, it was just it was quite shocking. And then Delhi. Um, in that front three, I mean, I, I know that we're riddled with injuries, but still, I thought surely Brian Hill was going to start that game, and we're going to uh, have Delhi uh, be our attacking center mid, and then have Skip and Hoiberg. I mean, that was like the sensible lineup, but I, I don't know. I just thought that that was really odd selection. Um, and then me personally, I wanted Tanganga on the right hand to uh, match up Versaha, and then I wanted Roden to come in. Uh, cause I, I just don't think he was given the opportunity. Um, and, and I thought actually he played pretty well on um, this game. I thought whenever he came yeah, on, he looked, he looked pretty good to be honest. Yes, and he did. yeah, so that was, you know, one benefit, but yeah, it was the lineup. I thought, man, it was, it was really disappointing, but it made, it made me worry about the whole Nuno thing, you know, it, like this was the first moment where I was like, Hmm. Well, and the first process. Pacos de Ferreira game they put out. You know, I, I get that. It's yeah, a very I think that's a little side, different but like, though. But this was the tactics for me, where I was like, "Wow, yeah, this really looks and feels like Jose." Yeah, no, that's very valid point. You know, I, I think you're definitely right in that. Oh, and also to to touch on that XG stat that you brought up, uh, that's lower than that half that Arsenal played versus City, um, and they had ten men. So and they had like nine percent mm-hmm. possession or something. They like Arsenal had a higher XG than Tottenham did this whole game in that one half where they just got absolutely dominated. So yeah, totally toothless Tottenham. Um, it, it was just, yeah, it was a wild, wild so, game to watch. <laughs> so all, all that taken into account as we sort of wrap yeah. up this uh, pretty epic podcast, I got to say, still feeling pretty good about Tottenham, both Evan and Jeff. Yeah. I'm feeling all right. I mean, I wouldn't say like in a rating, I'd probably say like seven, seven and a half. I, I think that's going to take some time and there are going to be some growing pains, but overall I think the direction is good. I mean, talking about teams trying to build up their strength, like I don't know, you compare it to to other teams that are going out and, and, and acquiring some talent and, and trying to build a project. Um, and then I don't have to look far to see the, the absolute worst <laughs> to trust the process you can see, because that's Arsenal. And I think, everything that they've done in this window Tottenham has just done 10 times better. Like you're, you're shelling out 50 mil for Ben white. I saw this comment where it was like 50, 50 for this Mickey. And I just thought that was like the one thing that stuck with me. It's like, dude, you're dropping 50 million pounds for Ben white. When people are out here getting Veron for 40, you're getting Christian Romero roughly the same price. And it's like, what are you guys doing? Like that? That's just, I, I think he's a 30 million pound center back at best like and i just think it's english tax and then then just going out and just spending it very poorly and and if i rated him 
I would say it was a good acquisition, but I just don't. Um, so I, I think their process is worrying me to be honest. And as a neutral, I just, you know, I don't, I don't want to see Arsenal just throw A's, man. I want to see him actually be like competitive. I think the best rivalries are those oh, where, stop it. no, no, I'm, no, I'm being honest. Like I think the best <laughs> rivalries are those where like, you know, they compete and like you have good games. And so it's been like Arsenal bullying Tottenham, but like, you know, I like that we're ahead now, but like Arsenal is just looking like miserable and, and I'm enjoying every second of it. But at the same time, it's like, dude, you oh. guys are just absolutely butchering it. Like to the point to where I'm actually feeling like, some pity for him you know don't pity the gooners evan uh, yeah maybe that's just the good side getting to me but yeah, it was a little tangent but you know how to get in some of the gooner slander you know talking about banter fc for a little bit but yeah <laughs> good old gooners but i guess dad you can you can touch on it now i want to hear your perspective just in closing remarks about how you feel about tottenham well i just hope that you got anything i just hope that you guys took a picture of the table uh, b- uh before last weekend because yep. i know as a spurs fan having uh spurs be top of the table and arsenal and 20th is um nirvana so i congratulate you guys on that um you know i i uh, said my piece about spurs i really uh, would be optimistic if i was you guys about the age and versatility of the squad the Kane saga has been uh, surprising, actually. I think given his professionalism up to this point, I am surprised that mm-hmm. things have sort of evolved to where they have. But um, he has somewhat redeemed himself since coming yeah. back. And um, he's played hard. And, uh, you know, uh, I think Levy was right in, um, you know, sticking to – his guns. And if city really wants him that bad, then, Hey, they got to pay market value for him. And if they do, then, um, you know, I have the same perspective on that, that I do on um, Liverpool selling uh, Salah, you know, world-class player. Yes. Um, But, you know, is he in his prime, you know, maybe, but late prime. And so if you can get, you know, 150, you know, 120 to 150 million pounds for Harry Kane. I mean, I realize he's one of the probably mm-hmm. three best strikers in the world, you know, pure strikers. But at the end of the day, I think I make that deal, especially with Baratici. I mean, I think we've seen uh, he could probably turn that into, you know, five good players, including a young, you know, up and coming striker, you know, so um, if I was a Spurs fan, I think I would look at things optimistically. Uh, yep. Like I said, I like Nuno. Um, is he the long-term coach, you know, for the squad that they end up building? I don't know, but with the stadium and with the fan base and, you know, I think one thing that's been good for Spurs is the uh, explosion of the American market because of yeah. all the British clubs uh, Tottenham is the club that has benefited the most in their kind of uh, world positioning from the opening of the American market. And I think it's because, you know, Clint Dempsey um, was playing for them, uh, you know, early on when um, NBC had the contract and, uh, you know, um, Bale. Uh, Bale, they've been an exciting 
to your point, Kyle, when you started watching them, they were in a lot of four, three games, you know, and um, as a young kid, you know, that's fun to watch when you watch guys bombing up and down the field and, you know, um, uh, you know, playing with heart. And uh, so anyway, um, yeah. I, I, I like Spurs and uh, I think the future uh, looks pretty good for them and uh, definitely better than, you know, when I started following the Prem 20 years ago, um, you know, Spurs were a mid-table team, to be honest yeah. with you. And, uh, you know, I think they're, as I mentioned, I feel like they're in that, you know, five, six, seven pecking order somewhere, but, and they have been there consistently for the past, you know, five to 10 years. So um, my whole, my whole time as a Spurs fan, pretty much. Yeah. So take heart boys, you know, uh, I do yeah. think I, I realized that, you know, we crushed your soul in the champions league final and Madrid. And I, I want to say, I'm sorry about that, but I'm really not. Cause we needed to get number six baby, but uh you know, um, and the Pochettino era ended weirdly because he's a great coach. And I just, I don't understand what happened because it looked like the team quit on him. I actually had high hopes for Jose when he uh, came in, but, you know, he couldn't resist being the real Jose for, uh, you know, more uh, than a year, you know, and um, then, you know, his time ran its course like it did at every other job that he's been at. But I like Nuno. I think he's a stabilizing force. I like their squad. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, they have some holes. But in general, I think they have a lot of good young talent. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what they uh, put on the field. Yeah. I think Nuno's still kind of filling things out, guys. So yeah. I realize the lineup against Palace was bizarre. But, um, you know, he's just getting a feel yeah. for who can do what honestly yeah. so so real quick uh within i'll give you maybe 10 seconds to answer the first question and then we're gonna go close this thing out uh pops where are liverpool finishing this season uh i'll give you 10 seconds and then would love to thank you for coming on the pod I'm sure the listeners enjoyed this one and uh yeah i would like to hand the mic over to you for any closing thoughts well, thanks, Kyle. Like I said, I really appreciate being a guest on the show. It was a lot of fun. Um, as far as Liverpool and where they will finish, uh, I'm going to say third again this year. Um, I'm a pragmatist. Um, I would like to see a little more depth in the squad, as I mentioned. And until they do that, I don't see them cracking into the top two, who I think will be City and Chelsea. Uh, you know, we gushed over United, but um, I just, uh, you know, I can't put United above Liverpool within good conscience in any scenario. So that's what uh, I'm going Nice. Thanks, yeah. Cal. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Of course, of course. You and too, Evan. Evan, it was even fun being on here with you. Yeah. Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Evan, let's go over to you. Yeah. Uh, your club Tottenham, where will they finish? And yeah. also uh, wanted to thank you for coming on the pod. It's been real fun and wanted to hand the mic over for you, to you for any closing thoughts. Yeah. First and foremost, thank you. It's, it's been really fun to do this and uh, glad that, you know, pops and I could be guests on this podcast. We enjoy it. Um, but yeah, back to, to where I think Tottenham's going to finish. I think they're going to finish fifth uh, just based on the squad. And I think they've added some good additions. So I think they're going to build from last year. Um, and yeah, I think, I think they're going to finish fifth and then 
you know, my my comments about Arsenal, oh, yeah, I'm going to scrap that. I hope they finish 20th. You know, now that I've kind of come to, to my <laughs> senses, you know, to, there's – and I got, I was dazed and confused for a minute, but yeah, I, I hope they finish 20th, you know, that way they can't say that they've never been relegated time for them to sober up, but yeah, I would want Tottenham to finish top, top five. I think they can do it. Um, just given their talent. And also I think the ambitions of the club is just time for things to, to mesh. It's been falling apart, but I can see it coming back and I'm optimistic, but also, you know, realistic that it's probably not going to pan out like that, but you can have goals, right? Yep. Yep. Well, Evan, I'm glad you came to your senses. Yep. Uh, good on you. Yep. Uh, I think you're trying to keep up the the good name of the Jensen family by being so nice on the pod. So um, I appreciate yeah. you coming to your senses, but guys, it's been, it's been a hell of a ride. If you're still listening, uh, I can't believe it or not, I actually tried to keep um, the pod on track with timing. Uh, this is the longest pod we've ever recorded, but I think this is worth it. I think this was the time to do it. <laughs> I think when we get guests on, um, you know, it could be a little more free flowing and, you know, shit happens. So anyway, it's been really fun. Justin will be back uh, during the next episode from his uh, holiday in Greece. Yes, he's doing fine with the COVID and wildfire situation. Don't worry. He, I've seen pictures. He's doing great. Uh, but uh, yeah, Justin and I will be, will be back. Um, look forward to having a few more guests on in the future. That's our goal. Uh, but guys, Evan, Jeff, AKA dad, it's been real fun. Thank you for listening. Uh, listeners, we got some champions league games and believe it or not, um, well, the champions league games already happened. You got the, uh, conference league to look forward to tomorrow. So that's really exciting. Yeah, I know. Everyone's so excited and more premier league games coming up this weekend as ever. So I will talk to you next time and take care y'all. Good morning Spurs. You'll never walk alone. <laughs>